All right. Uh, let's pray. God, we are here with open hearts, ready to receive your word. We pray that you would speak to each and every one of us, that your word would go, go forth mightily, go forth with power, and that it would transform us into your image. And so please just be glorified tonight as we open up your word, be honored as we give your word honor, and uh, just speak to us. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible and you want to, you can go ahead and open it up to the book of Colossians. Um, you know, Wednesday nights, we're, we're going through the Bible in a year as a church. We're in the last couple of weeks of that. We're almost done with the Bible this year, and then we get started over again. Um, but we're in just, a, just an exciting passage, an exciting chunk of Scripture where it's just like back-to-back. It's just incredible passages, um, and it's really... You know, it's some of the greatest passages in Scripture to teach on, but it's also in some ways the most challenging because you have to figure out what to say in a condensed version because there's so much here. You know, we talked about, you know, last week Galatians is all about the sufficiency of grace. And then this week Ephesians is all about the love of God. Philippians is all about how God is on the move in regardless of our circumstances. Colossians is all about the supremacy of Jesus. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians is all about just excelling in the Lord. 2 Thessalonians is about excelling even more so and being excited about the rapture of the church because God's coming back and don't get too distracted, but stay focused, right? Because God's on the move and, and it's just, it's just exciting, right? I mean, Paul is on a roll here, and, and we're getting ready. You know, this next week, we're going to go from uh, 1 Timothy through the book of James. And so we're going to have Paul's letters to young pastors and all of the, you know, intentionality that Paul brought to that. Like, if you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to be a minister of the gospel, here's what you should be doing. Here's how you should be living. Here's the kind of, you know, the, the urgency that you need to have in life. And then we've got the book of Hebrews, which is... Super awesome. It's a little hard to wrap your head around sometimes. So if you're reading, you know, if you're, if you're reading through the Bible this year with us, um, and if you, if you don't have a plan, ask somebody because we've got extra copies in the back. But if you're, you know, going through Hebrews, it can be a little bit confusing because you kind of got to stop and read it twice. But it's all about, is Jesus really sufficient? And, and can Jesus actually complete the Old Testament. So it's a super important book for us as Christians. And then you get James. And if you're ever wondering what should I do as a Christian, just open the book of James. Because James will tell you something that you're not doing that you should probably be doing. Okay? It's just like, here's what you do. Here's what you do. There's like, I think, 53 different commands in the book of James. Okay? So if you ever just, you know, want to feel like a slacker, open up the book of James. All right? But tonight, we're going we're gonna to just park in Colossians for a bit. And Colossians is honestly just... Um, it's just one of those books that I've just always loved. It's just super special. Paul just, as he's going on, it's just such a powerful book. And what's interesting about the book of Colossians is that Paul's writing this book to address heresy in the church. Okay? Um, this is actually a heresy that would become known in church history as the Colossian heresy, which was combined with a couple other ideas, but more or less, these guys were teaching um, that everything physical is bad, and so Jesus wasn't really God, and anything physical that happens in your life is actually bad, and so kind of a little bit of a, you know, Buddhist vibe there, like you got to separate the body and the soul, and, and it's, it's really completely antithetical to what Christianity is, Right? And so Paul's going to write and contradict all these false teachers. And he doesn't 
open it up by saying, okay, let's cover everything that's wrong with this philosophy. Let's cover what's wrong with this theory. Let's just go down, you know, bullet points, and I'm going to explain using logic and reason and articulate, you know, arguments and all that stuff. He says, you know what, guys, I just thought I'd write you a letter and maybe just talk about Jesus, right? And it's such, uh, just such a powerfully simple book in that sense, right? And we've talked about before, you know, apologetics are great. They're important. And they have an important place. But apologetics never convert somebody. Right? The Holy Spirit converts people. Apologetics are important because we need to know why we have a faith and why it's reasonable and why we can believe it. But really, at the end of the day, you don't get saved on apologetics. And apologetics can help sustain your faith across different you know, challenges and, and obstacles. But really, what's going to sustain your faith is if you believe that Jesus Christ is all sufficient to your faith, then... Jesus Christ is going to have to be what sustains your faith, right? So Paul writes this book, and he's countering heresy. And he's countering heresy by just saying, hey, let's talk about Jesus Christ, right? So Colossians is four chapters of Paul talking about who's Jesus and how do we respond to that, all right? And there's no way to even begin to unpack everything that's in Colossians. You can take it, you could just about do a verse a week. And, and spend an entire teaching on it, okay? It's, it's such a powerful book. But, um, as Gail Irwin once said, what can I say? Fools go where angels fear to tread. So we're going to try and sort of blow through it tonight. Um, so if you would, go to chapter 2, verse 6. And just to give a quick overview, chapter 1 and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, basically Paul is giving his introduction, and he's starting to describe who Jesus is. Okay, so he describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He, he's going on to just describe Jesus as the creator. He's the, you know, he's the fullness of everything. He's given us everything, okay? And so chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So therefore, all right, well, there's a therefore, so we're picking up in the middle of a thought of Paul's. Um, so therefore, therefore what, right? That's, that's a response. So the response to all that Paul has instructed us as to who Jesus is. And so if, if Jesus is everything that he claimed, if he is everything that Paul articulated, then therefore what do we do? If we've received and believed that reality that Jesus is who he said he was, then, like Paul says, so walk in him. All right? If Jesus is who he said he is, then we walk in accordingly. We're going to respond because every statement requires a response. If someone tells you something, it's either true or false, and you believe that it's either true or false, or maybe you're not sure, but any one of your beliefs is going to drive an action, okay? If I say, you, you know, whatever, if I say there's, we, I don't like the analogy just because everybody uses it, but if I say there's a tornado coming, that's either true or false, and you're either going to believe me or not believe me. If you, and, and your action is going to demonstrate what you do. If you continue to sit in your chair, you either don't believe me or you didn't hear me. If you get up and leave, it would probably mean that you believe me, right? So there's a proper response. So Paul says the proper response, if you've received this about Christ, if you can accept what I'm saying right here about Jesus Christ, then walk in him having been firmly rooted, if you, can, if you can really dig down deep and accept this, and now being built up, 
Okay, so you can accept this and now you can grow moving forward. And you're being established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Notice that last bit, because that's going to be an important concept, I think, for us tonight, is that everything Paul's about to describe is stemming out of gratitude. Okay, it's not stemming out of obligation. It's not stemming out of requirements. It's stemming out of gratitude. So, if, so that's kind of our starting point for tonight, right? So we're receiving Christ. We're, you know, tonight we're starting with the assumption that pretty much everybody in the room is a believer in Jesus Christ. So therefore, what do we do? We want to walk in that and respond in gratitude. Okay, so chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So if you're going to be rooted in Christ, you're going to grow up with Christ, okay? What do you do? Well, first of all, don't get taken captive by worldly philosophy and empty deception, right? If you're going to be rooted in Christ, then that means you had better be rooted in Christ. You cannot then attach or affix your root to something else or to someone else, right? So therefore, right, it's got to be, if, if your focus is Christ, Paul's saying, then your focus had better be Christ, right? He's even, it's really, it's a simple thought in some ways, right? If Christ is everything, then Christ should be everything, right? That's where Paul's going. And then he goes on from there, and listen, we're going to read verse 9 through 15. And pay attention to how many times Paul references the Lord right here, and the Lord doing something, all right? Verse 9, for in him... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So, did you notice how much work we were doing in that paragraph, right? Not very much. Who's doing the work? Christ, right? What's he doing? All of it, right? Um, he's the fullness of the deity. Uh, in him, he's the one who makes us complete. He's the one who circumcised us in a spiritual circumcision. That's kind of a throwback to the Old Testament, but he's the one who, you know, cut us off from our old fleshly life, uh, he's the one who baptized us. He's the one who raised us to life. He's the one who's perfecting us. He made us alive together with him. He's taken out uh, the, the debt against us. He disarmed all the rulers and principalities, and he nailed them to the cross. And, and what exactly did we do again? Right? What, what's our role here? And oh, by the way, you know, Paul isn't having to then go into this heretical stuff and, you know, let's discuss is Jesus really a physical, historical character? Or let's discuss, was Jesus actually God? He's, he's saying, hey, here's, here's what Jesus is doing. Here's, here's the sum total of Christ, right? So let's respond to that 
like it says in verse 7, ingratitude. Okay? That's, that's where we're going. That's what Paul's starting point. All right? And I want us to get that down. We're going to jump... Um, we're going to jump over to chapter 3, all right? But I want us to get, we got to get this down first. So we've got to understand who's doing the work. We've got to understand how much Christ is in charge of, how much he's over, right? Because we can say all as much as we want, right? But if we don't stop and, and really say, okay, wait, what does all really mean? Then what's going to happen is we'll say all and mean most, or we'll say all and mean some. So sometimes we have to just go back and say, no, what does it mean when we say all? And Paul gives it to us right here. Paul gives us the list. What is all? When Christ did it all, what does he mean? Okay? So chapter 3, well, so really for, for the rest of the book then of Colossians, Paul is going to give us responses. He's going to say, okay, if we're responding in gratitude to all that God's done, let's Look at what that might look like, all right? So, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, kind of the same as what we said just a second ago, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So, Therefore, right? Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Therefore, Paul's been saying, therefore, respond, right? But remember, how are we responding? And why are we responding? We're responding, chapter 2, verse 7, as an overflow of gratitude, right? And so we've got to understand this. We have to, have to, have to understand this. We don't do works as Christians. Paul's going to describe a lot of things to do. You say, you should be doing this in your life. You should not be doing this in your life. But we're not talking about righteousness. We're not talking about these works making us any more holy. right? We're not talking about these works drawing us any closer to God. Because Christ does how much? All. right? So we're not talking about adding to what Jesus did. We're talking about how can I overflow with gratitude. Okay, so think of it this way. Let's say... You're in a car accident. We'll say I'm in a car accident. Because, um, you know, if somebody in this church is going to get in a car accident, it'd probably be me. Um, so let's say I'm in a car accident, plow into it, lose control, plow into a tree. The car's smoking. You know, it's about to catch fire. Somebody sees me, pulls off, rips open the door, grabs me, pulls me out of the car right as the gas tank catches fire and the car blows up. Okay? I mean, like, you know, half a second later and I would have been gone. Okay? A person just saved my life. Let's then say that, you know, I probably makes it in the paper and I get the person's name or whatever and I, I want to tell them thank you, which would be the appropriate thing to do, right? But let's say I go up to that person and he and I are talking and about, you know, where are you from? What do you do? Okay, you're, you know, you work here. Okay. And I say, well, just out of curiosity, what do you make? Like, what's your hourly wage? He says, oh, I make 20 bucks an hour. And I say, okay, well, you know, I was thinking, um... I really want to show you appreciation for saving my life. And I was figuring it probably took about three minutes out of your day to, you know, you had to pull over, you had to pull me out of the car, and then you had to get back in the car, and you had to wait for 911 and all that. So I figured it took you about three minutes. And so if you make 20 bucks an hour, I'd like to give you a dollar, because that's the going, that's 
$20 an hour is a dollar every three minutes. So, sir, here's a dollar is my way of saying thank you to make sure that you understand that I did not want to take advantage of you by you saving my life right there. Right? That's, you know, that, that's like stupid. That's, there's a lot of things we could use to describe that, right? But that's not gratitude. That's, that's offensive, right? You can't, you don't pay somebody back for saving your life. You can tell them thank you. You can be grateful. You can look for ways to bless them. But you're not, like, you're not somehow earning the right to have your life saved, right? Much less out of, to try and set a value on it, right? And so when we set a value on, well, you know, if I do these things, then that draws me closer to Christ. It actually doesn't. Now, yes, there's a point in time at which avoiding certain habits will allow us to enter into deeper fellowship with Christ and pursuing certain disciplines. Like if, you know, if we're reading this week, if Paul's talking to Timothy, he's going to say, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, right? There are, there are points at which there are patterns that we can lay down in our life to help us be more consistent in our walk with the Lord, but they are not going to make us more holy. They're not going to make us more righteous because Christ did all the work. So we have to start there and understand Paul's going to give us a list, but we don't read a list and then say, okay, now here's what I have to do. We read a list and say, here's what I'm doing because I'm so thankful, right? So Paul's going to give us in uh, in chapter 3, he's going to break it up into sort of two thoughts. He's going to say, I want you to put off these things, and I want you to put on these things, all right? Because there are, you know, it's straightforward. There's things you should put off in life <clears throat> and things you should put on. And so we'll start with the put-offs because the put-ons are a lot more, whatever, they're more fun to think about, I guess. Um, so verse 5, chapter 3. Therefore... Because we're responding, right? Therefore, what's the thought? Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So Paul says, all right, guys, listen. Your old flesh, your old self, it's dead. Don't even waste your time thinking about it, right? If, you're, if something dies, you bury it, you put it in the ground, and you move on, right? Paul says, your sinfulness is dead. So put it in the ground and move on. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Okay, so Paul says, guys, put these things off. Set them aside. They have died. You have died. Romans... um, I'm blanking on the chapter. But Romans, Paul talks about, uh, you know, it's, almost, it's like a woman and a, and a husband, right? If a woman gets a new husband while her first husband is still legally married to her, that's considered cheating, right? But if the first husband dies and the woman remarries, that's considered life, right? Nobody objects to that. So Paul says, the sinful man, your sinful nature died. It's been buried. Jesus crucified it on the cross, Okay, so you're not married to that anymore. You're not attached to that anymore. So why would you then go back and try and, you know, try and fall in love with a dead body? Don't, right? You're rooted to Christ. You're anchored to Christ. You're the bride of Christ. So put off these things. That's, what, that's, what, that's what's attached to your dead side of your life. Okay, lay that aside. And verse 10, and have, having put on the new self 
who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. This is super important because Paul says your new man is being renewed. And that's important because it can be challenging sometimes, you know, when we understand, wow, Christ did it all. And the old, my old flesh is dead and I'm filled with the spirit, but I've still got a flesh, right? I've still got a heart that craves evil. What do you do with that? Paul says, you're being renewed. And that's encouraging. That ought to be encouraging because Paul is not saying once you accept salvation, you're going to be perfect. He's saying once you accept salvation, you're going to be being perfected, right? Which is great because we can all be being perfected. Paul himself in Philippians says, I haven't attained, I haven't arrived, but here's what I do. I forget what I did in the past and I move forward, right? Each one of us, no matter where we are at in our walk with the Lord, can say, you know what? I haven't attained. I have not arrived. I am not there yet. I've still got some growing to do, right? I've still got a lot of growing to do. But I can keep forgetting what lies in the past and by God's grace keep moving forward. I can keep walking. So Paul's saying, hey, you put off all these things, but when you stumble and don't put them off, don't then wallow in that, okay? When you stumble and you fail to put these off, you just keep being renewed. You keep letting the Lord renew you, okay? Because we are overflowing with gratitude. So we are letting the Lord renew us. And then we get to just verse 12, verse 12 through 17. Um, in a lot of ways, it's probably, I don't know. I, I don't like to give like favorites in the Bible, right? You shouldn't, it's hard to give like a favorite book or a favorite passage. But this paragraph is, might, be, uh, might be one of the greatest paragraphs in the entire Bible. It's for sure the paragraph that if every Christian could apply in its entirety, um, I don't think you can't. I don't think we're even capable of imagining what it would look like because it would be so transformative. But so we're gonna read through it all, and then we'll just sort of hit it point by point. All right. So I like Paul. He starts a sentence with "so," even though you're not necessarily supposed to do that. But so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I could keep going, but it goes into marriage exhortation, and that'd be awkward coming from a single guy. So, um, so then... As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. So he starts off, you're already holy and beloved before you put on. Right? Do you see that? He says, you're holy and beloved, so put on. He doesn't say put on in order to be holy and beloved. So remember, everything we're talking about in this paragraph 
is a response. It's gratitude. It's not, it's not working to make Christ love us anymore. And that's, you know, that's easy to say, and it's frankly easy to teach, but it's a lot harder to live out because uh, just the way a human nature works. But put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If you want to be dressed in godly clothing, you put this on, right? That's a pretty, that's a pretty stellar list to put on, right? Like, just ask yourself, I was doing it this morning, if somebody had to describe you in five words, what would it be, right? Like, if, you know, on a, job, on a job interview or something, right? Describe yourself in five words, okay? Compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, you know? Like, is that, is that the default when, you know, you think of yourself, right? Because I could think of the first five words that would describe me, and it's probably not those, right? But we're told to put them on. And then we're told to bear with one another. Oh, put on, to put on Christ means to put up with the people who annoy you, right? Which is like kind of a bummer, honestly, because there's plenty of people who annoy us who we'd rather just put away, right? But we're told to put on love, to bear with one another, to forgive one another. If somebody's got a complaint against somebody else, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So how much did the Lord forgive you? All, right? So when, somebody, when you have a complaint against somebody else because of what they've done to you, because of what they're doing to you, right? And again, and you know, this, unfortunately, we live in a, in, a, in a dark world. So I'm not saying that when we talk about forgiveness, uh, we're not saying deny that pain has happened or, you know, wish it away or whatever, right? But how much do you forgive that person? All. Okay, and forgiveness, you know, it doesn't always mean restoration. Restoration takes two people, but forgiveness takes one person. Okay, so uh, you bear with people who annoy you. You forgive the people who have hurt you. Beyond all these things, okay, even above compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and gentleness, what do we put on? We put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. If we want to be unified, if we want to achieve working, if we want to work toward achieving the same goal, which is being perfected in Christ, how do we achieve that? We put on love. Put on the love of God, right? So, again, you know, and we just, we're going to keep saying it until we're done tonight. We're not talking about, this is after he says we're holy and beloved, right? So, you're holy and beloved, so put on love. You're holy and beloved, so put on these. All right? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now this one's interesting, because he says, let the peace of God rule. We've talked about the last couple weeks, when Paul opens all his letters, he always says grace and peace. Uh, except for one of his letters, he says grace, mercy, and peace. Okay? Grace and peace. You have the grace of God before you have the peace in your life right? And you have to have them in that order. But what's interesting is the grace of God is a gift. You choose to accept that gift. Well, the peace of God is also a gift, right? Sometimes you have to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And as I was thinking about that and just praying about that, I realized sometimes I don't actually want to let peace rule. Sometimes it's just a lot more interesting to stew over something. It's a lot more fun to consider all the possible ramifications, right? It's just, it's just 
You know, I mean, it gives you something to talk about, gives you something to speculate about, gives you something to read about or write about or comment about, right? Not letting peace rule is a great way to make money. It's a great way to do all kinds of stuff. But we can let the peace of God rule in our hearts, right? So what are we putting on? If we're responding in gratitude to Jesus Christ, we respond by letting him establish his peace, as dominant in our lives. All right? We get to put that on. Let the, verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. All right? If you want to put on Christ, if you want to respond in gratitude, you let the word of God dwell in you. Dwell is not like, Spend the night, right? It's like live with. It's deep, right? If you want to let the word of Christ dwell in you, that's not talking about saying, you know, I read through the Bible. That's a process of you are perpetually in the word of God. You are growing in the word of God. You are letting it transform your heart and transform your life, right? The Bible is not one and done. The Bible is an active truth that is constantly changing us and growing us, right? It's steadfast and immovable, but it is perpetually changing us, okay? So if you want to respond in gratitude to what God did, you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he says, admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Worship. Worship the Lord. If you want to respond to God, then be a part of worshiping the Lord, right? That's, I mean, that's why our church worships the Lord, right? I mean, our church, that's the way our church service is structured, basically. We have worship, fellowship, and teaching. And we break it, into that, and we break it up like that in very specific chunks for a very specific reason. Worship is not the opening act, right? Worship is not the thing we show up to if we have the time or if we feel like it. Worship is what church is about, right? If you want to, you know, like worship is what you do. Worship is the opportunity to pour out praise and adoration to the God who did it all, right? And sometimes we take worship very passively, honestly, and this is, to, you know, this is all of us, myself included sometimes, right? Sometimes we take worship passively as the, as the optional thing, or the thing that we'll get to, you know, tomorrow, or the thing that, ah, uh, we might, you know, but sometimes it's just, I think we don't understand what worship is. Worship is not five songs that go from, you know, high energy to medium energy to low energy, and we shift the keys to go up, and we know that if we put it in a higher key, you'll sing louder. It's not, it's not a psychology of moving people emotionally, right? Worship is about we are gathering together collectively to express the overflow of gratitude that's in our hearts to the Lord, right? That's worship. That's why we start off a church service with worship, right? We're not, worship is not like commercials, right? It's not what, you, it's not what plays while you get the popcorn, right? Worship is how you open up. Worship is how you set your heart, right? You remind yourself of who God is and of who you aren't in worship. So 
we worship as a church, right? And that's why, and that's why, you know, and then I guess we'll just wrap up the paragraph. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So whatever you're going to do, Paul says, anything that's not on this list, whatever else you can think of, right? Think of something you really like. Do that too for the glory of God, right? Pick something. If you can think of one thing, you know, well, Paul didn't say this. Paul says, I just said it, right? I'm making sure to include everything under this banner. You could do everything you do in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? You wrap it all under that banner because we're responding with gratitude. So we are responding by putting on, right? We put off. There's some things we put off, right? And those are important, but we get to put on because we're responding in gratitude because Jesus did it all, right? For in him, chapter 2, verse 9, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, right? We're holy and beloved before we ever put anything on, but we get the privilege of responding in gratitude. We get the invitation from God to respond in gratitude, right? He pulled, you know, like kind of going back to that car metaphor, which is really a bad metaphor because it's so much, because uh, you can actually wrap your head around it, right? I can wrap my head around somebody pulling somebody out of a burning car, right? You can't extrapolate that far enough and blow it out big enough to understand what Christ went through to pull you out of hell, right? It's different. It's different. The, the difference, you know, I mean, you can, you can sort of measure and, and comprehend in your brain the self-sacrifice and what goes into saving somebody in an emergency situation. You cannot comprehend the sacrifice that sends God to pack into humanity. It's impossible. Your brain cannot unpack it. That's why we have eternity, because in eternity, we won't ever fully appreciate it, right? We cannot comprehend just what went into that, but we can accept it, right? We weren't pulled out of a burning car. We were pulled out of the gates of hell. We were pulled out of death, and we weren't just pulled out of it to be like sort of saved, right? We were pulled out of it to be raised to life, to be brought into something higher and better and greater and more glorious than we could ever imagine, right? So that's what we're doing. Well, that's what we're doing as a church. That's what we're doing as individual believers. We're not working towards something. We're responding to something, right? That is what we get to do. So as we're looking at this next week, right, if you're going through with, with the word, right, respond to it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Read it. Comprehend it. Ask the Lord to open your eyes. Ask the Lord to give you opportunities to encourage and admonish one another with what you're reading, right? And whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, okay? So let's pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice that he made to bring us into your presence, to crucify our sins and our flesh, to lay that old man to death, God, we pray that we would have hearts that, that comprehend just enough to, to overflow with gratitude. We know we can't fully comprehend, but we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts 
and our minds to understand more of what you've done for us. We pray that we would respond to that, that we would be people who want to respond to the goodness of Jesus Christ. So God, we do pray that we would put off the things you've called us to put off. We pray that we would put on that which you've called us to put on. We thank you that we're holy and beloved before any of that. We thank you that you have made us complete. And so we pray that you would be glorified in our hearts and in our lives, that you would work your will for your kingdom and your glory. Please have your way with us now, and it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, that we pray. Amen.